Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Monday night and since it's a packed week and might have to add another podcast, I'm not sure yet. Um, so I'll tell you about that later. But let me do the part show if I can. Again, this is being sponsored by Lolly and Lady Freebid, the two that they're doing this week, the other one from yesterday, the bio and today's. Uh, thank them for their support, friendship support, and um, they should have many simplest. These are our personal friends. Now let's go into Vayikra. It's a little bit funny that, you know, Pesach is around the corner, so really you have to concentrate on Pesach. Nevertheless, the way the calendar works this year, as we all know, you jump into Vayikra, which is really something you concentrate after Pesach. Or, or am I wrong? You know, um, Pesach is all about a carbon, but carbon Pesach is different than these in Vayikra, is it not? First of all, the ritual is different, but second of all, um, Pesach is, especially, let's put it this way, Pesach is a historical carbon. The whole idea that we are all required to bring a carbon Pesach, and I would remind you that carbon Pesach is one of the two mitzvahs of H.H. Bukharis, where for an act of omission, you get punched with Bukharis. Failure to bring a carbon Pesach is a biggie. But obviously, what you're doing with Pesach is you're doing a historical, um, what's the right word, acknowledgement. Thank you, God, for taking us out of Egypt. We wouldn't be here and we wouldn't be a Jewish people without you seeing this crime. Okay, fine, I get that. I get that. That's different than the carbon ola and shlamim and chatos and the stuff. Asham, you got in this week's parasha and next week's parasha, you know. Those are much more technical. And again, the carbon Pesach has all kind of little rules and rituals. Uh, for the most part, it's not too hard to see the symbolism there. I mean, obviously, the matzah and the mar, you can tell, you know, what that's about. And I mean, I have to spell it out. You read the Haggadah, and what else? That I like always. Like I said before, to say Rechinich says that's a sign of rich person. You know, uh, it's an economic vart. Uh, there are some I'm not hundred uh, percent clear about, like the Psul Yotzi, all the rest. Of it. I might be talking about that this week, well, for my Shabbos Haggadah speech with Russia. I have to think up now something to say. I usually do in the afternoon. Usually I do a couple hours, but this year with the corona, you can't do like that. So we'll figure something out. But anyway, I was thinking about the Basiliotse. There there are funny rules about Karmpesa, but I think it's not too hard to get at them. But when you get to Vayikra and Sav and Shemini, I mean, my goodness, you do this with the right hand, and that and the north of them is back, and the south of them is back. All the tiny little, you know, details and rituals drive you crazy. Um, what's it all about? Now, that's why I say it's different than Pesach, even though Pesach involves a carbon. Although I might add, of course, as I think everybody knows, in the, at the Seder table, you also had a, a, a what do you call it, a carbon chagiga, you know, shlama. So you did have a little bit of acre in there. But it's mainly supposed to be a carbon Pesach. Now, anyway, to get to our Parsha, everybody knows the carbonists are a weird part of Judaism. The um, uh, I say again, a weird part of Judaism. 
Let, let me put it in the following way. And I always do this every year. Do you think the Vilna was a front guy? The Satmar Rebbe was a front guy? Do you think that, uh, you know, the Rambam was a front guy? They didn't do carbonus. I know they learned carbonus, but I'm saying they didn't do carbonus. Notice my point is, it's possible <clears throat> to be a very pious and godly person without going all the shtick with the, with the, with the animals and the blood and the menachas and all the rest of it. I mean, evidence indicates that. We've been planning tzaddikim and tzikonios who never had nothing to do with carbonus because the base of destroyed Ladal Moneno, fine, and uh, wasn't even possible. And they look pretty fun to me, you know? They look pretty fun to me. So anyway, uh, let's do it this way. Um, the Rambam, famously, when he wrote to a guy for Perplexed, was bothered by this, and very controversially he said, and I think everybody knows this, that the Kormonists were historical specific. Since people were primitive at the time the Torah was given, so it was necessary to give them a, a, a religion with Carbonus. If they didn't know Carbonus, uh, if they didn't know Carbonus, um, if they didn't, if God would give them, the Rambam speculates, if God would not give them a religion with Carbonus, they freak out because every religion in the world had Carbonus at that time. It's like one equals the other. You can't have religion without Carbonus. <clears throat> Going back to all the ancient paganisms, so, if God would say, I'm giving you a strict monotheism with no ceremonies, they couldn't handle it. They would have freaked out, and it wouldn't have worked. So, therefore, it's a concession to make Uh This, of course, implies, this is why it outraged everybody, that's historic-specific, and that we don't need covenants nowadays. We're, we're, we're smarter than them. We're more advanced. Oh, my goodness. I think you know what I'm, most of you who are listening probably know what I'm talking about. And if you want to see who gives them hell, go look at the uh, Ramban. Uh, especially in, um, yeah, over here, I think it's over here, where he attacks the Rambam head and foot. Uh, and understand, totally understandably, because it sounds like an ultimate rationalization of a mitzvah. And when you rationalize a mitzvah, you kill a mitzvah. Because as soon as you tell me a mitzvah is a means to an end, or it is there for a reason, then I, I, I don't need the mitzvah, I just go for the reason. Um, but here's the funny thing. Uh, so what's the defense of Rambam? When I was young, I was into this a lot more. You know, and people were bothered by it and all the rest of it. But I've come older and I've realized um, I'm not only... Uh, sometimes you get smarter when you're older in some things, even though you get dumber when you're older with also some things. And it's clear to me, after all these years, the Rambam was just speaking like to, for the perplexed. And I don't say that in an apologetic tone. I'm not saying that you know, to the I'm saying this, this is why I sincerely believe. This is based on my uh, research and, and uh, my personal evaluation that... Uh, there are many ways to explain the mitzvah. The Ram was trying to, when he wrote that book, he was trying to appeal to a certain, when I say appeal, to make the Torah palatable to a certain element. Uh, you can give all kinds of reasons over there, as long as you don't say this is the reason. Now, it's true. In the Murder Book of God for Plex, he kind of sounds like this is the reason. But he doesn't anywhere say this comprehensive to totality reasons. And more importantly, when he wrote this in the Guide for Perplex, which was the last of the books he wrote, the Rambam basically wrote three big books, one in his 20s, one in his 30s, and one in his 40s. And then he didn't write any books anymore because his medical practice took off, as I've said this many times, and he had the A-level list of uh, clients, including the Prime Minister of Egypt, and years later, even the king, not Saladin, but his son. <clears throat> and if I know anything, the Rambam clearly saw... Uh, by the way, he was the, so there was a physician for all these big Goyim, and uh, at the same time, he was the Rosh based in the Nagid in Egypt, and there's no question that he uh, saw that he's doing more of a Tawelis for the Jewish people 
by being hanged around all these big diamonds and servicing them, which will predispose them to act good towards Claudius Yisrael, and say that the Jewish community in Egypt and throughout the empire of the Egyptians at that time, the Ayyubid dynasty, controlled a lot of the Middle East. You'll be doggone sure that the Jewish communities received relatively good treatment, which they did do when the Rambam was in his um, 50s and 60s. He died in the 60s because he was influential at court, I'm sure behind the scenes. If you read, um, there's an Islamic guy, I forget the guy's name, uh, maybe it's in Batuta, I don't remember. He wrote a book of famous doctors back in the Middle Ages. And he mentions the Rambam there with his Arabic name. And he said something along the lines, you can find it online, that you know he knew, as to use modern language, he knew very well how to get along with Goyim. That's not the words he used, of course. But that's what it boiled down to. And the Rambam was a very smart person, besides being learned. And uh, therefore, he didn't write any books after he was like around late 40s, <clears throat> age of 50. So I'm saying it for a reason. So the first thing he wrote was the Parish of Mishnahis, which he wrote in his 20s. Then he wrote the Mishnah Torah in his 30s. Can you imagine that? <laughs> the Mishnah Torah in the 30s. I hate people like that. <laughs> yeah, he's a genius. And uh, and then he did the guy for Perplexed. So the reason I'm telling you all this is, first he wrote one thing, and then he wrote the other. First he wrote the Mishnah Torah, the other Chazaka, in which he put his, his feelings out there. And then he wrote the guy for Perplexed in a way to appeal, as we would say today, to the left-wingers, and I don't mean that in a bad way. But really, to try to make Judaism palatable to people that might not like this approach or that approach, I do it, you do it, anybody's in the rabbi business, unless you have the most frummy element in the world, unless, you know, in other words, if you have a, a, a super yeshiva, you should crowd and nobody but, so maybe. But if you have a regular Balabatisha group, you can't help but try to take those parts of Judaism which will appeal to Americans of either gender as not being palatable and try to make it in the most palatable way without giving up any iota of the halacha or anything like that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. That's what Jews have done for thousands of years. So that's what he did. <coughs> so let me make my point. The Rambam in the Mishnah Torah um, is quite eloquent. And the opposite of what he says in, in the Guide for the Perplexed. At the very, you know how you can tell at the e- very end of uh, Seder Ravoda, the Rambam, I said it many times, anybody who's familiar with the Mishnah Torah knows this, that many, very often when he fi- finishes a whole subject in his book, which is all the laws, so he'll end with a sermonette, right? Stigl sermonette. That's who he, that's him that's elegant writing. Remember, the Rambam has secular education. He, among other things, he learned rhetoric. Rhetoric, the language should be pleasing, <laughs> elegant. You feel you're reading something classy. Now, the Rambam in Sefer Avoda, which is part one of the 14 books in Mishnah Torah, goes through all the nitty-gritties, my lord, of Zerom and, and Menachas, and, I mean, uh, Zerom and Menachas, and all the Vayikra stuff. Okay? There's nobody that knows it like him. Which is why the best way to learn Kachim, other than go through the Gemara every line, is to go through the Rambam. If you, out there, the Balabas, or whoever, when I say Balabas, no, somebody who's not learning for a time. If you want to get a shtickle understanding, better than a shtickle understanding of Carbonus. Listen, we're starting now with Most people find it boring. You know, in Claude, you know, Ola, Nechatas. If you want to get it clear, read the Rambam. Uh, he's the best. Now, I realize there are some people that argue on the Rambam on this point and that point. We all know that. Every region is like that. You're doing pretty doggone good if you know Kutch and Lafita Rambam. I mean, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> That's it. That should be your biggest problem. 
Oh, I'm only a bucky in the Rambam in Sefer Avodah. I don't know the Ravid. Big deal. <laughs> That's pretty good. And you'll get a clear path. This is true of all the parts of the Torah that are complex. But it's particularly true with the Karbonas and every aspect of the Karbonas. And the last part of Sefer Avodah is the laws of Me'ila, you know, which the penalties you pay for you for, for, for abusing and misusing Hegdish. And when he finishes the whole business, at the very end of, of Sefer Avodah, he has a sermonette. Listen closely. This is the Rambam talking. A person has to be misbonain, has to examine and analyze all the laws in the Torah, and try to figure out what's going on as best you can. Now, kvikocha means, listen, I'm not God, you know, but I take it as far as I can take it. I don't be lazy, though, and say, eh, superficial understanding is good enough for me. That's not right. Right? You try to figure out a reason for everything. So, if it's up to me, 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 double cats talking here. If it's up to me, and you ask me why is this carbon uh, done, you know, by the coin on the left side of the car of the altar, as opposed to the right side of the altar, <clears throat> the proper thing for me, double cats, is to sit back there and, and ask myself the question, you know, uh, it's left, it's right. What does left mean to me? What does right mean to me? What does it symbolize? Suppose I come up with a shot that makes sense. Good. I don't say that's the shot, and I could be totally wrong. <laughs> now, if you're not, if you're too lazy to do that. So you look up Mepharshim. That's that's good too, <laughs> right? But Kafi Kocho, you try to figure out yourself logically what the Pshat is to be Mesiyashev al Das. Not that you're saying that you're it and you're necessarily true. That's what Ram says. Very interesting. Something makes no sense at all. As you can't come up giving your best rational interpretation, you can't come up with a good convincing shot. I'll get Kalbeinov. Don't treat it lightly. Penyifrisboni, poetical over here. Don't climb the mountain, Lord, lest you get hurt, like they said in Mount Sinai. So around I'm saying right over there. If carbonus don't make any sense, or something in Torah doesn't make any sense, don't make fun of it. Don't treat it like you would treat something secular. And there is something secular. If something seems nonsensical, so you say it's nonsense, okay? Um, but not when the Torah. In the Torah you say, I don't get it. Bower eight. And he's talking about Hilchus Look how strict the Torah was. If you're Ma'al, if you uh, misused Hegdish. And Mila is a funny thing. Something uh, that you misuse Hegdish. Hegdish was once upon a time a stick, a stone, and you were Magdish. So it's got no intrinsic Kedusha. Simply because you were Kari Shem on it, now it's Kaddish. And the Torah says, if you misuse that stick or stone or anything like that of Hegdish, even though it's an inanimate object, what's the big deal? Oh my goodness, you be chayef. You, you, you attack God. And even if you did bishogi, which means with negligence, uh, you know, willful negligence. Uh, what's the right word? Uh, criminal negligence. So uh, that's terrible. Uh, sorry, if that's true, something like Meila. How much more so for all the mitzvahs uh, that uh, uh, that Hashem gave, whether they make sense to you or not, like Karbanas, a person should kick them, should not kick them and mock them just because you don't know the reason why. And don't ascribe stupidity to God. And don't treat it like you would do something secular. If I'm reading something secular, and it looks like something stupid, which you come across quite often, so you say it's stupid. If you see something in the Torah and it appears to be stupid, 
I'm being serious here. Don't do that. That's what I'm saying. You hear the language? That you um, have to treat very carefully the chukim and the mishpatim. Now, what does that mean? Uh, you have to give shmira and asiya. Hasiya yadua shigyasa chukim. You have to perform those laws and rituals. Hashmira, what does it mean you're shomer them? Just say you do them. What do you mean you shomer them? I mean, not physical, the guard. Shizoyer bohen. See? You treat them with zahiris. But like dama, shem pchuzim mishpat. Ushmartim is means beware of treating lightly the chukim. That's a nice way of uh, writing. Mishpatim is just time to do them. The mitzvahs, which mishpatim are, 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 are logical. But tovazasim basa yadua. And we know, you can tell, you know, the reason for them in this world. Gazel shvichas damim kibbutov, you know, uh, what we call the social mitzvahs, like kibbutov aim. They make sense. Bachukim, because it says in the Pasuk, shmartim is a chukim as a mishpatim. Bachukim, he mitzvah shen tam goli. Those are mitzvahs which don't make sense. Well, he doesn't say they don't make sense. He says that their reasons are not goli. Chukim shechachach emeshul saharbem. Even Hashem said these. These are chukim to you, and, and and don't try to figure them out, and don't and don't think anything bad about them. And he goes, I'll skip a little bit, and he says, "Vakama yedavim mitzarim and aminim agayim shem shimal chukim." And it's really funny. The Rambam over here is using his historical imagination and projected on King David because we wrote in the Tehillim, and he's assu- he's asserting here, I don't know what basis that David Melch, King David, dealt with goyim. Right, I mean, he was a king, and he negotiated, and he had wars, and all that business. And um, according to the way the Rambam understands it, one of the things King David did was he debated. And it doesn't say this anywhere in the Book of Shmuel. He debated religion with the Gaim. Isn't that interesting? In other words, in the middle of killing 10,000 Philistines, because you will perhaps remember, Saul killed his thousands, and David's tens of thousands, <clears throat> and some of his other massive wars, he also discussed religion, discussed religion, with these Minim and Goyim. So the Goyim were the foreign nations. And Minim, oh boy, isn't that interesting? So in other words, in the time of David Amel, way back when, there were not from Jews, as we would say to the anti-from Jews, Minim. Isn't it? You don't see that in the Book of Shmuel, but isn't that interesting? At least, I'm telling you again, this is the Rambam's approach. That David Amel had Tsar from the Minim and the Goyim. So the Goyim, I understand. The Minim, they made fun of those laws in the Torah that seem stupid. I'll read it better. And when they persecuted King David, in other words, they bugged him. With false claims, which were convincing to them. I repeat, this is a fascinating case of historical machination part of the Rambam. He's saying, the oh, let me give you an example. If, if you... Uh, Read closely the book of Shmuel. David had good relations with Hiram, the king of Tyre, Chir Melzar, who did business with him and gave him, um, built him a palace and stuff like that. So David Melch dealt with the Phoenicians. Uh, if you'll remember, at one point, the king of Ammon died, and David was friends with him, and he sent ambassadors to the funeral. And even though stuff happened there, but it means that before that, David was on good terms with this particular king. So he had relations or whatever. And it seems, the way Rambam is describing it, religion came up. Now, ordinarily, you think like this. Keep religion off the table. 
gentlemen don't talk about uh, you know religion and the weather and all that. But um, but he did, and obviously, I mean, I'm reading into the Rambam, but I don't think I'm reading a lot. David probably wrote to them and said like this: How can you believe in your stupid idols? You know, Balpur and who knows what. What about this, that, and the other? And they busted him back and said, "What about your stupid religion with the carbonola and the and the and the chattas and the honey and the thing? It's all stupid, right?" Now he got. Let, let me put it this way: They stalked him because they had good tainas. They had good tainas. I'm, I'm, I repeat, I'm paraphrasing what the realm I'm saying. Now you might say, "Yes, how can they have good tainas? If they had dumb tainas, if they had dumb arguments, David wouldn't be mitzta'er. Here, don't bother him." But it did, the Rambam says. Everything I'm reading is from straight from the Rambam in the Mishnah Torah. The Kama Hayu David Amelch Mitzta'er Min Aminim Vagoyim Shem Mishivan Al Chukim. How much did he suffer from these Minim? So these were not from. So it turns out they were Jews in David Amelch's time. What shall I say? Reform, conservative? That's not the right word, but you know what I mean. There were Jews who said we don't believe in this part of the Torah, that part of the Torah. Specifically, the Carvanas—they make no sense. Boy, this is fascinating. Why do I say it's fascinating? One of the big problems that we know in the Tanakh period, throughout the Tanakh period, was you had bummos, you had uh, Jews doing all kind of uh, side Carvanas. Uh, according to regular interpretation, the Pesel Micha was chugging along in the time of King David. And he didn't do anything to stop it. I suspect this is just my personal interpretation. When the Rambam says Minim, I think he's talking about the Pesel Micha guys. Because the Gemara says that the Pesel Micha lasted until the Chorban. Either the Chorban makes a mix by Nebuchadnezzar or the Chorban of the Ten Tribes by the Assyrians. So they were there hundreds, hundreds of years. So how come King David didn't get rid of him? We've talked about this on other occasions. There are ways of interpreting that. The Yafei Torah I mentioned before, which I happen to like his interpretation, but I'm not going down that road right now. I'm simply pointing out that a superficial reading would be, you know, the King David's time, everybody was from. They had issues with politics, they certainly had issues with Lashon Hara, you know, and he certainly had Shalom's Rebellion, all that kind of stuff. No question. No question about any of that, right? However, um, let me say this. Uh, it sounds like everybody was from, at least to the degree that they weren't worshipping idols. Later on, after Shlomo Melech, and the kingdom splits into two, so then you get your Rabbi Nevat and all that business, and then you said, and Oivei, Oivei. And many commentators are saying, how could it be? There? Everybody was from. And uh, all of a sudden, the Eglazov took off. From the Rambam, you see over here, and again, I emphasize a hundred times, I'm just giving you what the, the interpretation of the history based on this fascinating passage in the Rambam, which is in the Mishnah Torah. <clears throat> He's saying that there were meaning in his time. And that means when David said to Jews, stop worshipping the golden calf with the Pesel Micha, or stop doing this here, stop doing that there. Some listened to him, and some did not listen to him. He said, you know, your religion, the Torah religion, makes also makes no sense. Get it? So the God we're worshipping, or the, I shouldn't say the God we're worshipping, the idol we're doing, is a more sensible. The Gemara says, for example, the Pesach Michal is dedicated to Gemilas Chasadim. You know, that's, that's more sensible than, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it, uh, Asham Gazelas or something like that. So, uh, you know, like that. So David Melch was mitzta'er min aminim v'hagayim showing meshivan al chukim that they attacked him regarding the chukim the parts of the Torah which make no sense and the Rambam mentions earlier because it's really a Gemara in um, I remember it's a Gemara Yuma that um, that 
things the guy make fun of. The Gemara says it. Things the guy make fun of are Isser Basar Bechazer, Basar Becholov, Egla Rufa, Paraduma, Sar Mishalech. Right? We all know Sar Mishalech doesn't make sense to us. Paraduma, I think, is well known, you know, Ech Kamal Behi Rekokhimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimim
I cannot prove a sheker. Right? All I can do is say, I double down on my Shemir Smitzes. I'm not going to let it get to me. Now, what that simply means is as follows. If I got the smartest lawyer in the world, I could persuade you to become a Christian or a Muslim or anything. If it's the best argument in the world, unless you could go and hire somebody who's even better. Notice, can you get to ultimate truth through, through argument? Can you get to ultimate truth through argument? Now, phil philosophers are based on the idea that you can. That's what philosophy is all about. And the Rambam did wear a hat as a philosopher. But that's not the only hat he wore. You see what I'm saying? That's what makes it so interesting to me from a historical perspective. This Rambam we're reading over here, which is the Rambam's reading of reading into the words of the Tehillim, which I find fascinating. See, he's saying that um, he couldn't bust them. They could bust him. He couldn't bust them. They wrote him. They were rode of him, but she was Sheker, and he didn't know what to do. And he says, Toflo Lai Sheker Zedim. They're hitting me with all the Sheker, and I don't know what to answer. All I can say is, Ani B'cholei Vetzar Pikudecho. I'll double down on the Shmir Sede Mitzvahs. Benember Benin, Kol Mitzvah Secha Muna, Sheker Redafuni Azraini. Look what he's saying. This is King David pleading to God. Kol Mitzvah Secha Muna. All your Mitzvahs ultimately depend on faith. Not on logic. Sheker Redafuni. I am being pursued by Sheker. Azraini. Help me, O Lord. So we never think of King David, at least as far as I'm concerned, and I'm sure I'm right about this, you never think of King David as a guy who has fakus, <laughs> right? As a, as a guy who's bombarded. And, and you know, this is why we, we always tell from people, don't go and get involved with the missionaries, right? Because you hear something, you don't know what to answer. You're not trained in this, and even if you're trained, maybe the guy's a good arguer. Not every year is the best arguer in the world. Sometimes the guy's a good arguer. I could tell you stories that happened with me in the mission, but I'm not going to do that right now. I'm concentrating on this Rambam and his reconstruction of King David and the Carbonus. And look what King David is doing. He's pleading to God, Ozraini, help me. Call Mr. Sechamuna. Your missus depends on Amuna. Sheker Ridafuni. I'm being bombarded with Sheker, which means, you know, their arguments are getting to me. <laughs> right? They're right of me with Sheker. The arguments are getting to me. I, I know it's wrong, but I know what to answer. And therefore, ah, this is King David talking. He has a direct relationship with God. That's what Tehillim is all about. And so he says, you know, give me some divine help over here. Azraini. Uh, it's a fascinating passage, okay? And the Rambam concludes, So, among the things that you couldn't explain well are all the Karbonas that you find in Vayikra. Lefika Chamer Chachamim Sha'af Alavodis HaKarbonas that's why they say that the world stands in Kabbalah, which means it's almost Kabbalistic. It's part of the Bria. Whether it makes sense to you or it doesn't make sense to you or not, you just better realize if there is a base of English and you have the opportunity to Kabbalah and you don't do them, things will deconstruct. Right? I know it sounds like a mystical whatever, and of course it is, but that's his point. See here, Maimonides, the great rationalist, is arguing mystically. Isn't that funny? Maimonides, the great arguer, you know, seeking truth through argument, is... Is, is portraying his hero, because the Rambam is, of course, a hero, you know, I mean, let's put it this way, David Melch is his hero. He says it many times. Uh, he should be your hero and my hero also. I'm talking from Tehillim. And his hero had issues with the Karbonas. That's Mama Short's reading over here. He had issues with the Karbonas. Help me. Help me, right? Get me through this. And, and I just have to realize 
the Garbonus of Metzias, Shebasias Achukim Mishpatim, Zochen Hayisham Chayelam Habo, Vigdima Torah Tzivuyah Chukeho, and the Torah even said, Ushmartim is Achukosai Ves Mishpatai. It didn't say, Ushmartim is Mishpatai Ves Chukosai. So put the Chukim first, Asher Yasa Adam Bachai Behem. So I'll tell you right now, when you read this, and then you read that a decade later or so, approximately, seven or eight years after he wrote this, approximately, he wrote the guy for Reflex, and he's meeting Jews who are mamish holding like, like David Amel. Because believe you me, if he's got to come up with an interpretation that it was historic specific, had to do with the archaeology and ancient religions, all the rest of it. So what is he saying? He's saying, look, King David had issue with the he didn't know what to answer. I'm going to try to offer a shot for the perplexed that will be like Osraini, to give, give him a help. I cannot hope in the 12th century when he lived that God will send out a lightning bolt like we sent for King David and enlighten him and give him shot and, and all that. Osraini. You can pray for it. But the Ramah himself, out of his sense of, of responsibility for the Tzibur, and that's who he was, because he wrote all these books to popularize. I mean that in the best sense of the word. To bring the lofty ideals down to the mass level, people can understand it, because he could have written the brisker stuff, you know, if he wanted to. To bring it down to the mass level, uh, so the Rambam himself says, uh, I'll come up with a shot, which I hope will help the uh, PhD guys today and the uh, left-wingers and the others to feel more misyashu with the Carbonas. Let's put it that way. Feel more with the Carbonas. Um, <clears throat> that's not what King David did. And, I, and if you ask me, I can only play junior psychologist over here, so I could be totally wrong. He asked me, is Rambam is talking himself also? It must have bothered him too. When he puts these words in King David's mouth, I think he's putting them in his own mouth. And what does he say? The Rambam's are from me at the end of the day. He says, Azraino, Shekir, call Mitzvah Secha Muna, Shekir Rudafuni Azraini. I mean, if you're really consistent in that, give up all the philosophy. <laughs> give up the Chakira. Isn't that right? Sounds like a Hasidic Rebbe. You know, it's all Muna Pshuta, Fideza, and heck with everything else. So it's, I think that this Rambam, which is, as they say again, at the end of Sefer Rebbe, you should look at very closely. And this Shabbos I have a lot of fun with. I'll tell you the truth. Um, I thought this would take me five minutes, but I see I've already run about 35 minutes. I had a lot more to say in this week's Parsha. But uh, I don't want to overrun my time. And anyway, maybe I'll be able to use something next year. I'll just end with one little brief point, And that is, which I was going to mention, I'll make my visitor mention. One of my uh, favorite Haggadahs is um, from uh, the Chuv Miyabo, the Blazer Flecolis. I happen to be a fan of his. I have strange tastes. And um, he's a wonderful Darshan of the old school. I happen to like the Baroque stuff, as I think some of you may know. And uh, so, knows he was a student of Behuda, and he was a successor in a certain way in Prague. He's a real cool dude. And among other things, he published Algara. Mm. And he lived at a time of an outbreak of rationalism within the firm world of Prague. Okay? Uh, the Hasidic movement didn't hit Prague. The, uh, let's put it this way they really, they really were dealt in his time. In the, he published in 1817 with a heavy dose of what I would call Mornavuchism. I'm serious. And uh, in his Haggadah, when he does the four sons, so uh, it's very cool. 
when the Russia says so in every generation, when you see Haggadah speaking historically, so in every generation they are um, changing the Chachan Russia. Tell me the initial in the summer of an airtime. I'll give you an example. Suppose somebody was making American Haggadah today. So the Chacham would be, you know, I don't know, Chacham. The Russia would be, you know, uh, anti-Israel, you know, BDS or something like that, or, you know, some anti-from type thing. The Tom would be your typical American Jew. No, the Shana De Loisha would be an American Jew. You see what I'm saying? They try to put it in contemporary terms, even though it's 2,000, 3,000 years old. So in his uh, configuration, the Russia, when he says, Ma, Vodos, Oslochem, he's the Russia is in my Manadian. He's saying, what do you need a Carbonus for? After all, it's only historic specific. Now, uh, what that means is that here's a person who's saying like this, I'm a Maimonidean. I read the guy for Perplex and Werner Bucham. I see he said the Carbonus are all time specific, historically contextualized, and therefore we don't have to worry about it today. Yeah, but you, but you didn't read the other Ram, the one that I just read you today, right? You didn't read that. And you didn't factor in that, unless you simply want to be glib and say, well, the Rambam wrote that, he didn't really believe it. I don't think so. The language I just read you is a very passionate language. It's even psychological. I think it rewards a great deal of psychological uh, study. Uh, if you want to know who Maimonides was, that's my opinion. I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one on that. But um, if somebody says, well, what is also going to eat for? The Fleckless would see this as, you know, the, the Haskalah of the left wing variety in his time, who's trying to rest themselves on a superficial uh, approach from the guy from Perplexed. Anyway, uh, I'm actually surprised I was going to do other stuff also, but I'll, I'll, uh, maybe I'll leave that for next week. With that, I wish you all a uh, good Shabbos, the rest of the week. We have Pesach coming around, we have Shabbos like all the rest to come around. There's a lot of material over here, and, uh, Maybe we may start another podcast. Um, I'll, I'll tell you about that more later. Uh, once again, I want to thank Lolly and Lady Freeman, the sponsor too this week. That's very nice. I hope other people <laughs> will imitate them. Obviously, we need all the support we can get. And with that, I bid you a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.